Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The text is the epistles, the epistle from Hebrews. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, there's so much in the text today, we could be here all day frolicking in Hebrews 12. Now, instead of that, I'll just spend 10 to 15 minutes with it in order for repentance, faith, and holy living. Is that all right with you? Ah, it is. Good. Thank you. So let's get started. Verses 22 to 24 extol and encourage attendance at the divine service by telling us what we come to when you attend. More on that in a few moments. But why would Hebrews talk up the divine service? Well, the answer is simple. Because many of the baptized Christians in the congregation are no longer coming to the divine service. They're abandoning the sermon. They're not eating and drinking our Lord's body and blood. And Jewish Christians especially are dumping the Christian divine service. They're quitting Christianity and they are returning back to Judaism. Why is this? Well, many of these early Christians had doubts like, you know, is Jesus really the Messiah? Can we really trust this Jesus? Is his Good Friday death the all-sufficient atonement for every sin and every sinner? And with these doubts, they became apathetic to the Christian faith and they were easy prey for false teachers and satanic lies. In addition, these early Christians experienced discrimination and persecution. In those early days of Christianity, being a Christian was not a feather in their cap. Confessing Jesus brought them prejudice, unfairness, bigotry, and intolerance. Being a Christian in those early days, to use the language of today, got you censored, canceled, deplatformed. So, discouraged and disheartened, they began to quit going to the divine service. Because for many of them, it was easier to go back to their Jewish roots, give up on Christianity, and no longer go to church and be identified as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, can you just imagine for a moment what it would be like if Christianity were illegal like in those early days? Think of what it would be like to be arrested and treated as a criminal for simply gathering to hear God's word preached. Or like today, to have your son baptized. Or to celebrate the Lord's Supper, to own a Bible, or have a hymnal. Imagine what it would be like if your neighbor called the authorities to snitch on you. He's one of those. He's a Christian. A Christian nationalist. An enemy of the state. An insurrectionist. Imagine, for just a moment, a police officer pulling you over on a Sunday morning to interrogate you. And the questions would go like this. Where are you going? What are you going to do? Tell me, right now. Imagine, in this time of deep economic recession, that it was perfectly permissible and lawful to discriminate against Christians so that you couldn't get a job or buy what you need to feed and clothe your family. <coughs> Imagine losing your job for being a Christian. Envision your children not being allowed to play a sport in high school or a club or select team because your son or daughter is a Christian. Those days are coming. They're coming. 
Imagine losing your citizenship and your civil liberties simply because you confess that Jesus is Lord and that you go to the divine service to receive heaping portions of Christ's forgiveness. Hebrews was written in that kind of climate. And we too are beginning to face this in America. Hebrews 12 reminds all of us and these early Christians that they have not yet suffered to what? To the point of shedding their blood for being a Christian. What is more is that all the suffering and the inconveniences they've experienced up to now is nothing else than what? What does the text say? Nothing else than the loving discipline of their Father in heaven who loves his children enough to give them a severe swat on the rear end every once in a while. Yes, that's right. God does that. Our Heavenly Father disciplines the children He loves. You are His baptized children. Colt Otto is now His baptized child. And so, like all fathers, God the Father protects you from yourself. And sometimes it is with a firm hand that seems very painful at the time, but in the end it turns out to be a blessing. Hebrews warns these early Christians and all of us against, as the text says, complacency, bitterness, immorality, and everything that distracts and deflects and otherwise messes up our running the Christian life of faith that is set before us. And then, as I noted at the beginning of my sermon, verses 22 to 24, praise what goes on at church in the divine service. This is a huge issue. Duke, why? Because Christianity is absolutely distinctive in the smorgasbord of world religions. In all the other world religions, you have to reach up to your God, serve him, her, or it, and you have to offer your God stuff so that he, she, or it will give you special treatment in return. You know, quid pro quo kind of religion or tit for tat. But Christianity teaches that in the divine service, God the Father comes to us in Jesus his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's divine service. The triune God comes to you to serve you, the sinner, to give us the benefits of our Lord's Good Friday death. And so, when God comes to serve us in the divine service, eternity and time overlap. Heaven and earth are joined together. And the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, bless us with forgiveness, life, and salvation in the absolution, the gospel preached, and in the Lord's Supper. Now, for those remaining in the congregation who are thinking about going back to Judaism and abandon the Christian divine service, today's text, verses 22 to 24, reminds them of what Mount Sinai in the Old Testament was like. In a word, it was terrifying, untouchable, burning with fire, loud, blasting, ear-piercing trumpet and voice from God that made everyone plug their ears and beg God to be quiet. No one but Moses was allowed on Mount Sinai, and even an animal that set foot on the mountain was to be stoned to death. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but uh, Mount Sinai is not the mountain that I want to come to. Hebrews says that you've come not to Sinai, the mountain burning with God's wrath, but rather you have come to what? To Mount Zion, to God's city, the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem that comes down from above, from heaven, 
the city of which God is the architect and the builder. So when you, as a baptized believer in Jesus, come to the divine service, you're not coming to experience God's hellish wrath, but rather you come to God's heavenly city where you are one of its free citizens. And the text says that you've also come to angels, countless angels, to joyful festal gathering. How can this be? Well, in the divine service, as the triune God serves us, all of heaven is there with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Millions upon millions of angels are present too in the divine service. Just as we say in the liturgy at the end of the proper preface, right before communion, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. During the summer months, when everyone is on vacation or just being lazy, it's easy to be discouraged when attendance is way down at Trinity. But I want you to ponder this, that in the divine service, what you see is not what you get. In fact, a whole lot of action is going on in what we do not see. In the divine service, the angels and the archangels are praising and giving glory to the Holy Trinity as they worship with us together every Sunday. The angels bow in reverence to the crucified Lord and Savior on the cross that we have here visibly reminds us of what's going on here Sunday after Sunday. It's why Hebrews says you have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. The text also says that you have come to the assembly of the firstborn, the congregation of the elect, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And your name, yes, that's right, your name is among them. You are coming to God, the text says, who is the judge of all, not to be judged guilty under the law, but to be judged not guilty, innocent, perfect, blameless, and even holy, not because of something you've done, but because of what Jesus has Good Friday done for you. <laughs> the text says you have come to the spirits of the justified, the righteous made perfect. Who's that? Those are all the believers who've died ahead of us and who are now with the Lord. And so where Jesus is, like here today, in his word and sacrament, there his saints are too, for they are saints only in him. That means, if you're picking up what the Bible's teaching here, that means that the closest that we can be to those who have gone before us, including our own Christian loved ones, is in worship, in the liturgy of the divine service, in the gathering where Jesus comes to us and the Spirit gathers us as one body around the Lord Jesus himself. The text says you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant in which God forgives and forgets all your sin. Yes, God forgives our iniquities and he remembers our sins no more. Oh, that's delicious. Remember, because Moses came with books and a bookkeeping spreadsheet called the Ten Commandments. That's how you keep book on your sin. But Jesus came with no commandments. Oh, I know, I know. He preached the commandments to their sheer undoability and to reveal our sin to us. But then Jesus died under the same law, the Ten Commandments, shedding the blood that the law requires. And you, the text says, have come to that sprinkled blood, the blood of Jesus that cleanses you from all sin, 
The blood shed on the cross for the sin of the world. The blood of the New Testament poured out for you in the chalice of the Lord's Supper for the forgiveness of your sins. So brothers and sisters, when you see that Christianity, as well as divine service, not as something that you do for God, but rather what God in Jesus does for you, his heavenly city, his righteousness, his covenant, his blood, then you will never want to miss out, let alone give up on Christianity. Because really, it's the only game in town. In the name of Jesus, amen.